Hello, and welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog and now a podcast created for parents raising black and brown children. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. In this podcast series, I talk with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. Today, I'm so happy to have Dr. Victor Carrion back with us again to talk about the mental health challenges this pandemic continues to present to us and how we can meet and overcome them. As our regular listeners know, Dr. Carrion is the John A. Turner, MD, Professor and Vice Chair of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Stanford University, and he's also the Director of the Stanford Early Life Stress and Pediatric Anxiety Program. Dr. Carrion's research is focused on the behavioral, academic, emotional, and biological effects of traumatic stress on children, and he has a special emphasis on early childhood stress in kids of color. Victor and I have been having a series of really interesting conversations about parenting on this podcast. He is our go-to guy for parenting stress advice, and I'm so glad that he could join me today. Welcome to Ground Control Parenting, Victor. Hello. So nice to be here with you and your audience. Yes. Thank you for being back with us. It's, it is a sign of the times that we need to have a go-to guy for stress advice, <laughs> but we do. <laughs> yes. Well, happy to be here. <laughs> Great, great. I, I want to start out on a kind of a sobering note, but but not stay there for long. There was a survey conducted in the fall of 2020 at the University of Chicago, which found that 37% of Black youth report symptoms of moderate to severe depression. And another stat, which is as of 2018, suicide became the second leading cause of death in Black children age 10 to 14, and the third leading cause of death in Black adolescents aged 15 to 19. So I'm starting with these statistics, not to, to scare parents, to give us more sleepless nights, but just to emphasize the fact that as we focus on the need for mental wellness in the face of this lengthy isolation due to the pandemic, our children are particularly vulnerable. So my first general question to you is, you know, we are we are well into this pandemic. We have been in isolation. It's been lifted. What do you see is happening with our children and what can we do about it? Yes. So some of these figures uh, you're mentioning uh, are there from before the pandemic. So before this mm -hmm. significant uh, stressor that we have all had that started as an acute stressor and has become chronic. And, and that's important because the picture is different. It's different behaviorally and it's different biologically. Uh, I think many parents would recall that at, a, at the beginning of the pandemic, kids for the most part were happy to be home, happy to be with their parents, <laughs> taking, right. taking a break from, from school. But that has definitely changed as they have missed their peers and they have missed their teachers, their, their school environment and, and their socializing, which is, which is very important. And now for many of them, when they go back, they are also going to have to experience grief for losses that they may have had, uh, personal mm -hmm. losses, like literally losses of teachers and also losses that are, are more material, right? Something that may be different in the classroom or in the school setting. Mm -hmm. So having said that, uh, let, let me say that the support 
that some kids can get by being close to family and friends is one of those silver linings of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. That those kids that maybe were more isolated all of a sudden needed to be with their nuclear family. That mm -hmm. would help a subset of children that find that support in the families. Unfortunately, for a smaller subset of children where that nuclear family may be, where most of the stress comes from, that means that those children have been struggling and, and suffering in isolation. Mm. And I say in isolation because the majority of them will probably not have any access to mental health support, such as counseling. Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about half of the kids to two thirds of the kids that need mental health services are not getting them. Mm. And, and, and the pandemic probably has not made that any better. Another silver lining that could come from this is people's comfortableness with um, technology. Mm. So that has made telehealth readily available in, in a lot of systems. But if, if you were not part of that system of care, it doesn't matter, right, if telehealth is available or not. It also, right. uh, because of the digital divide, doesn't matter if you cannot access it uh, technologically. So, so there are issues that remain there. Um, why are children getting depressed, right? Is that, is that the bottom of your question? Uh, well, mm -hmm. when I talk to kids, uh, many of them talk about the expectations that they, of what they need to do, how they need to perform. And in many of these expectations are 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 kind of only in one area, right? Like they need to be like the best student or they need to be the best athlete mm -hmm. or they need to be the best dancer. Mm -hmm. And and what happens is that as you're forming your identity, which many of our youth are doing it right now, if, you, if your identity becomes um, really identified and marked by, by just this one area, any real or imagined fail in that area is a direct attack to your identity. So then that's why the theory of belonging is something and connectedness is something that can really help us help the kids and take care of them because we need to belong to many different things so that if something fails, we still have the rest. So we play some sports, so we are all students, but we're also community engaged. And, and, you know, we have a variety of, of things so that we don't rely solely in that one aspect of kids. Mm -hmm. and, and there is a lot of pressure. There is a lot of pressure about performance on kids in all of these areas and, and academic pressures as well. And, and when we look at the balance of stress, which sometimes can be very good for health, I have to say, right? Mm -hmm. And and support systems, unfortunately, that balance sometimes is not there and we lose our homeostasis and just the stress system becomes too much. Mm -hmm. And when stress becomes too much, that's when it, it, it starts uh, having an impact in our health. And that's what we've, we've seen with this, with this pandemic, that the stress has been too much for, for many groups of our society. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to go back to your advice 
about encouraging our children to to see a, a grander version or a, a bigger version of themselves than they may have before the pandemic. As you said, before the pandemic, children were really focused. If they were feeling pressure, if they had a passion and they were pursuing it, say they were great academically or they followed a sport or they were really good in a sport or they were really good in some art or culture activity, understandably, a parent would be... Um, encouraging that and encouraging them to do the best that they could. But this pandemic has shut down so much of that kind of activity for so many kids. So it's something that's out of their control, which has impacted their ability to shine in whatever, however they saw themselves. And I I imagine that parents who are so worried about so many different aspects of this pandemic um, are not as focused as they might ordinarily be on the impact of this inability to do this thing well anymore of their children. I mean, many of us are grateful that our kids are healthy, focused on how well they're able to get their schoolwork. We as adults understand that you can't do sports now, so you got to move on to something else. But from a from a child's perspective, if they saw themselves as an athlete and now suddenly they can't be that, I can imagine that is very stressful. So, So what can parents do to help alleviate that pressure that they might not have even acknowledged that the children are feeling? Well, I like the phrase that you're using, uh, to help to alleviate, because that that's really what we can do. As parents, sometimes we jump into wanting to fix it, right? And if it is that they're not mm-hmm. playing sports and they want to play sports, how can I make it so that they do play sports? But there, there's, and, mm. and, and that's, you know, I'm, I, I'm not against that, but there's a lot that can be done before that. Um, you know, one one thing that that I, I want to get out very fast, and I, and I think we've talked about this in the past, is that there's this idea out there that kids are resilient, right? And if I can manage for him to be healthy and, and finish his schoolwork, she or he will manage the rest uh, because because they are resilient. And and the reality is that there's nothing in the literature that guarantees that kids are resilient by virtue of being children. Mm-hmm. Children can be resilient if we build it and if we give them the opportunities. And how we do that uh, by teaching them about their own strengths and the coping mechanisms that they can develop is something that we can put into place now, for example. So one of the main things that we need to help kids with is to help to express what they are feeling. Kids compartmentalize a lot. They may know that they're missing their athletics and they may know they feel very frustrated, but they don't necessarily link those two. And it is through the process of conversation, of narrative building, of let me be here for you. Let's talk about how you've been feeling, how this experience has been for you, that children start creating a narrative. Mm-hmm. And that narrative will be one in, in which they can discover, okay, these are the reasons why I'm frustrated. Actually, it's not only athletics, it's that I cannot see my friends, is that I miss my school, is that 
I'm all the time under the rules of my home, right? Mm -hmm. I had gone to college already. I was there on my first year and now I have to come back to my high school rules and home. Mm -hmm. so, so they discover new things through the process of narrative and conversation. And through that discovery and through those conversations, we can actually brainstorm with them ideas on different ways of addressing the issues that are bothering them. And, and those are specific, right? We're, we're all having this universal experience, but we're also having very personal, specific experiences. And we need to get to those specific experiences our kids are experiencing. So, so parents really need to help children voice and understand the, the pressures they're under and, and, to be able to say out loud how they are feeling because that will help them begin to feel better. Um, but what about if you have a parent who isn't so much in touch with that ability in themselves? I mean, first, you there are parents, many parents, who are feeling so much stress and anxiety from their own circumstances and stress and anxiety for what they are not able to do for or with their children. But there are also people who are fairly distrustful of the the um, the concept of therapy and therapeutic advice and thinking. Parents who feel like it's better not to open that Pandora's box or can of worms because it makes the child uncomfortable and it makes the parent uncomfortable. I wonder whether parents should try to put that aside. I mean, if we're looking at these statistics where children are increasingly feeling this pressure and depression. Is it time for parents to sort of put aside their own feelings about uh, talking and feeling and emoting <laughs> to help their kids? And, and how would you suggest they try to do that? Yeah. So, so first, let's take our own polls, right? Let's see how we are doing before we try to help anybody. Mm -hmm. Because the healthier we are, the more apt we're going to be to help our kids. So if we are feeling very stressed, there's an opportunity there through modeling to actually teach kids how to take care of themselves without having that conversation. If you don't want to have that conversation, just kids are watching us. So just by seeing mm -hmm. that you're eating right, that you're trying to sleep right, that you're exercising, that you are talking mm -hmm. about your own feelings, that modeling will help them because they will emulate mm -hmm. what works for the parents. Um, and, and in mm -hmm. terms of addressing or not addressing, sometimes avoidance can be helpful, right? Sometimes you can say, you know what? I have too much going on today. I cannot handle it. <laughs> I, I am going to do it, you know, this weekend. But then you really have to mm -hmm. do it this weekend. You cannot keep delaying it. You cannot keep avoiding either the conversation or talking about your feelings because avoidance is never a solution. <laughs> it, it really, uh, right. many of these issues don't just dissipate or go away. In fact, if one address what tends to happen is that they tend to get worse and that they tend to get larger and bigger and cause more dysfunction. So, um, uh, avoid, you know, we have a saying in my lab, like PTSD feeds on avoidance. PTSD loves avoidance mm -hmm. because then it can express all these emotions can be expressed through symptoms. Uh, they will come out somehow. 
And if they don't come out verbally, they'll come out in symptoms. So what we're doing here is really avoiding further problems in the future by approaching them, by addressing them. Mm -hmm. And and this is not about being, you know, therapy-minded or not therapy-minded. It's about having openness with our family members and by taking care of our kids and by teaching them, by guiding them. Because what what happens, I, I talked about kids compartmentalizing and sometimes not knowing that something they experience causes this particular um, behaviors or, or symptoms. But the other compartment is their response, is their behavior, is what they do, right? So kids that act out, for example, may not know that they are acting out because of the way they feel and that they feel because of what they just experienced. So linking all of that for them uh, would be helpful. Sometimes not clear for parents either. I don't know if this has to do with that or if not, but the conversation of the parties, having the people involved can help do that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you can demonstrate your empathy by saying, by concentrating on yourself and by saying, wow, I have felt so frustrated about not being able to do the things that I usually do. And that made me not be that careful today. You know, I forgot my mask in the car, forgot in quotes, mm-hmm. right? So, so by saying that, what you're doing is you're opening the door for a conversation because it's not like the kid is going to be ready to have a conversation with you when you want to have it, right? right. But what you <laughs> want to do, what you want to do is send the invitation, let the kid know that when they are ready or when they have the questions, they can come at any time to have this conversation mm-hmm. because it is many times through those conversations when kids tell us, no, well, this is great and you're helping me a lot, but I need more. And I think when when the kid says that or when you as a parent notice that you are really out of your comfort zone, mm-hmm. that may be when it's time to call your primary uh, uh, doctor and ask, well, this is the situation. Do you think I need a referral? And have a consultation with them. They mm-hmm. might say, no, I, I think things are okay. Or they might say, yeah, it sounds like they should see someone. Mm-hmm. So sometimes mm-hmm. making that determination is not that easy either. And that actually leads me to another question about parents who don't always know what signs to look for, can can you go through um, the kinds of things that might uh, parents might see in in the different age groups, in the littlest ones, the toddlers, and then the adolescents and the teens, the kind of things that um, I don't want to say that we should be on the lookout for because I don't want to encourage parents to just worry more about their children. But is there? I imagine there's some behavior that should raise a yellow flag for parents. So what might that be? I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, the developmental uh, ages because really we're talking about three different populations here when we talk about youth. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the preschoolers, we're talking about the school-aged kids, and we're talking about the adolescents. And in fact, we could add transitional age youth and uh, young adults to this as well. And, the re- and, and you know, we are all going to have reactions, right, to, to the year we've had. Uh, and we are all going to have feelings about it. And to some degree, there is going to be some sadness. There is going to be some anxiety there. And 
And it might be normative. It might be actually a normal reaction to have to what we are experiencing. So the rule of thumb is to look for change in function. Mm. Is this behavior or feeling in any way having an impact on three areas? First, their relationships their relationships with their families, their relationships with their friends. And I don't mean concretely that they cannot do things with friends now. I mean that all of a sudden they are less interested in, in being engaged with their friends or, mm-hmm. or they're really losing those relationships or they're having a lot of fights with the family, for example, or with their friends. So an alteration in the relationship. The second is an alteration in their work. Uh, and or school performance. So how they're doing, right? Were, were they fired because they came late three times? And this is very uncharacteristic of them. Are they really not completing their homework when they were an all A, B student, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a drastic change in function in terms of how they perform at school and academically and at work might be a second thing. And the third thing is distress. The, the severity of the distress that they experience. If, if all of a sudden, yeah, they were kind of depressed, but now they are not even eating or they are not engaging in any way or they're withdrawn all the time, then that's also a red flag. So going back to the developmental um, points that you were making, with preschoolers under stress, usually what we see is a regression of behaviors that they have already outgrown. So you may see sucking of the thumb again or wetting the bed or becoming more clingy. So these are signs that they are really experiencing more stress than, than, than the normal that we would expect. Then the school age kids tend to somatize. So there's might be headaches and there might be stomach aches that are not otherwise medically explained, right? Mm-hmm. And then the adolescent tends to get more withdrawn, more isolated, not wanting to talk, but but again, out of the ordinary, right? If, if they were always a very independent, not wanting to talk type of person, and there has been no change there. Then, then that doesn't mark more distress. But if it's something new, yes, that, that is a problem. Uh, sometimes kids have a lot of difficulty sleeping. So issues with sleeping, issues with eating, you know, are always mm-hmm. red flags, nightmares, um, uh, waking up very early, things like that. So that that is really, really helpful. And again, these are yellow flags. I mean, if you see this persist, you might want to call your doctor. This doesn't if your child is evidencing any of these, it doesn't mean immediately there's something dreadfully wrong. It just means that you need to keep an eye on them and potentially chat with your doctor about whether there is something that more that needs to be done. Let me put a caveat there for children and youth that have been on mental health care previously right? Mm -hmm. We want to be particularly careful with this population. We want to make sure that whatever treatment they were receiving, they have been receiving uh, during this year and that they can continue to receive it uh, afterwards as well. Yeah, no, that's a really important point because life has changed so dramatically. Parents and children may feel like they no longer need to follow the protocol that they were following before. So yeah, that's really important that 
parents take into account the, the needs of their particular child and, and how they were faring before the pandemic hit. So now I want to try to lighten this up a little bit <laughs> and talk about the fact that even though we've been in lockdown for quite a while and, and our, our worlds have changed, there seems to be certainly a, a tunnel with a light that's coming from the other side in that people are getting vaccinated. Um, the summer weather is coming. People, well, here on the East Coast anyway, summer weather is coming. Out in California, the summer weather is always there. <laughs> but, you know, there is a feeling that with the vaccinations rolling out, people are going, are, are anticipating being able to return to some semblance of normalcy. Certainly, I mean, I've got children in school and, and they anticipate in the fall that their school will be back in in-person classes. And that's the way it is all over. So that's a good thing. And we're all looking forward to that. I wonder though, um, for many families, this new normal has become the normal and it will require a transition to get back to the way that we used to operate. And I'm wondering how, how do we manage our children in these transitions? I mean, what if your child who can now potentially, may, you know, and maybe as the weather gets nicer and as people around them are vaccinated and if numbers go down, they're able to actually play with their friends. They'll stay masked, of course, but there's a little more leniency with what they can do. And what if they don't want to do it? <laughs> that there is this, they've become quite comfortable in their, in their solitude. Confirm for me that it's important for children to get back out there. And then how, how can parents help them? make that transition. Yeah, so we were talking about situations, clinical situations really, where people were having problems adapting, mm -hmm. right? That's why they were, that's what we were all experiencing stress, but some people were having it at, at higher levels. We have all gone through a very appropriate adaptation process mm -hmm. to live in the current situation that we are living. Right. So we have adapted to 2020 and we have these expectations of 2021 and the expectations can be very high. And I would say we have to be careful with that because much like the child who's quite not ready yet to go and play with his friends, there needs to be a transition period. Mm -hmm. There might be some expectations that we may be better off moving them to 2022 and having them be expectations for 2022, right? And and really look at 2021 as a year of transition mm. because it's normally going to take some amount of time for us to leave what we have adapted that we didn't want to adapt, right? What we have adapted to and then adapt to the new setting. So you need a transition period for that. And, and remember that at the beginning, I was talking about how children feel this pressure and these expectations on performance. Mm -hmm. We can put those on ourselves too mm. by thinking in 2021, I should do A, B, and C, and I want to travel and I want to see these people and I'm going to have a big dinner at home. But mm -hmm. these are all very good things. But if we're not psychologically prepared to do all of those, then we're going to feel the after effect or the side effect of having put this pressure on ourselves when we're not ready. And it's not abnormal not to be ready, not after we've had to adapt to not doing it. 
So there needs to be a transition period. And I'm saying 21 and 22. I don't know how long the transition period is. It's probably very different for different people, depending on your circumstances and situations and, and resources and so forth. Um, but we need to be fair to ourselves and we need to allow for that for that uh, transition period. Mm. So, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, when am, I, when am I going to feel comfortable going back to the gym and spending an hour there with a bunch of people breathing around me and, you know, <laughs> and biking and all of that? Well, you know, maybe I'll bike to the gym a couple of times. Maybe I'll go in mm -hmm. and spend an hour, you know, or, or less or half hour. I, it, we kind of slowly have to get into the rhythm of things. I agree. The The flip side, though, is I have personally, I have felt that I do have to nudge myself a little because you can miss out on experiencing things that it's perfectly fine to experience because of the fear of the unknown. I mean, frankly, I have to remind myself to get outside and walk around because it's, it's, it is, you know, with work to do and things to do inside, you could, days can go by, but it's perfectly fine to be out and to be around people. You do have to ease into the transition, but I, I think for children and for adults, it's important to make sure you are easing into some kind of transition because those of us who have stayed inside in circumstances where it hasn't been horrible to be inside really need to be reminded that it, there is a normal world out there that we are going to be re-entering and, and, and we should model this for our children so they don't look at us and say, okay, I'm not going anywhere either. <laughs> no, no, you're totally right. And, and, you know, I often wonder about how much have we uh, lost socialization while, <laughs> while being inside for a year. Like, are we literally going to be bumping into each other because we don't know how to walk around a lot of people <laughs> and and keep distance, right? So, so yeah, we do need to exercise it. And yes, I and and I think having some some goals to achieve during the transition period, it, it's mm -hmm. a good good approach. So again, I want to I want to continue to pause to focus on the more positive aspects. We've talked about the sort of concerning ones, but. What have you seen in terms of of concept of mental wellness that that can be seen positively as a result of this pandemic? I will I'll throw out one thing that that I have seen, and and I wonder if you've you've seen others. First of all, I honestly think that people have been more focused on wellness and mental wellness and doing things to maintain it than before. I mean, it's part of the conversation in so many families now. Because it has to be. And, and, and I mean, certainly in my family, we talk about mental wellness more. We talk about what it takes. Um, we talk about how we're doing. And I think these days when we ask one another, how are you doing? It's not as sort of just something you say to, to be polite. I mean, I think we actually are caring a little bit more about how people are doing. <laughs> so that is one potentially positive thing that I actually hope stays once we are all back out into the world of 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 non-isolation have have you seen any positive aspects that that you can talk about 
Oh, definitely. Um, the first one that comes to mind is that in many systems of care, we really have been uh, advocating for telehealth mm-hmm. for a long time, for, for many years. And there were always these roadblocks that made it very difficult. And in a matter of weeks, you know, 90% of our services were telehealth once shelter in place uh, existed. So this has made not only individuals, but systems comfortable with with telehealth. And it's something that I think is here to stay and something that we are all going to be using for our appointments in, in medicine. I also think this has been a great opportunity to teach uh, children about citizenship mm. and that there are things that we do that are not for just ourselves, that we are doing them for other people. So, so you know, a, a very concrete, very young preschooler may think that they cannot go across the street and, and play because there's something wrong with them, right? Or because there's something wrong with, with their friend. Well, during this year, they have learned, well, no, there's nothing wrong with you or, or with your friend, but this is something that we're doing to protect our whole community. And in fact, there are many things in life that we do that have to do with protecting the, the well-being of, of the citizenship. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a very good thing. I agree with you about meditation. Uh, people are experiencing the benefits of mindfulness exercises, of deep breathing, of all of this, and are incorporating this into their own self-care. Something else that, that I think is good is that we... Uh, are really seeing how we are part of a network and how we don't really operate in in silos. So, mm, okay. you know, I like to say that human beings are very much like neurons. They are they are fantastic. They they perform an important function, but in isolation, they cannot accomplish much. So it is through the connections with other neurons that we form the brain. And, and very much, I, th- I think this year we have experienced this. And I know that you want to be on the good side of things, but let me say that when I see what's happening in Brazil, what's happening in Chile, what's happening in Argentina, I become very, very careful and very cautious about where we are with the, in the pandemic mm-hmm. because we cannot have isolated states or countries that do well while others don't. You know, we, we are really living a globalized uh, planet at this point, and and we have to work for the well-being of, of everybody so that we can all be well. So that's something that we still need uh, to see and that we are actually working on, right? We are, we are starting to send vaccines to other countries and, and so forth. Um, I have to go back to where I started, which is this issue of conversation, uh, not because I just love talking all the time and having conversations all the time, but it is our inclination as human beings after we experience things like this to want to forget and to actually go back and pretend that nothing has ever happened. Oh, then we as a society would be falling into uh, avoidance which is something that we don't want to do. We want to see what are the things that we can learn Mm -hmm. from the experience that we had. So a very good theme for a family to have in conversation as things are getting better, 
And as we develop our transition uh, plans is, well, what have we learned? What have we learned personally? What have we learned as a family? What have we learned as a country about this experience so that we not only bounce back to where we were, but we actually bounce back to a better place, a place that has more insight and more information based on the experiences that we've had. Mm, that question, what have we learned? I like that a lot. I like that families will will explore that together um, because and and that's an it's a great open ended question because it doesn't the question itself doesn't suggest that everything we learned is positive. I mean, what we learn is how difficult it is to be inside for a very long time. But but I, I like that because it seems to me that all of children that participate in that conversation would have something to add to it. And and it promotes the kind of family bond as we all kind of learn how everyone individually feels. And then you can talk about what what has the family learned as a unit. Um, yeah, that's a that's a really, really that's a really great question. And and I think I know that you were speaking globally that if we talk about what we learned as a nation, as a, as a, as a universe, we can bounce back. But I actually think that if families taking this to the smallest grouping, if they talk about what they've learned um, and everyone sort of hears whatever, how everyone else has perceived this, that too can get families to a better place. Uh, it, it, it enables you to emote and feel better. Yeah, I like that you mentioned family bond because we need to protect our family bonds because something that's going to be very reflexive mm -hmm. after this is for everybody to go out on their own ways and and <laughs> we can really minimize the time at home. <laughs> so right. so you know, how do we protect how do we protect that so <laughs> that we have that important structure in our lives? Uh, while we have this desire to do everything we haven't done for the past year. Yeah. You know, I think in addition to taking transition slowly, I think that families need to make sure they have a lot of patience with themselves and with the rest of their family members. Because to your point, some members of the family may be really ready to get out there because they're really finished with this phase. And other members of the family may feel less inclined. There has to be a lot of patience in the family for for um, abiding by how other people feel. I, we, I think we have to have patience with each other and patience with ourselves because um, intellectually, you know, okay, I'm vaccinated. Oh, I can go in. I mean, I'm safe. But, but I think we have to be a little patient with how we are processing it and how our kids are processing it. So patience, I think, is going to be important and to just remember to have, <laughs> which is kind of hard sometimes. We, we have all uh, exercised forcefully <laughs> delayed gratification uh, during this year. <laughs> so now on the, on the hopefully last couple of months, right, we don't want our impatience to, to get in the way. So I totally agree with you on that point. Right, right. Well, Victor, as always, talking to you always makes me feel better. <laughs> it really does. And I'm sure it does for our listeners as well. I'm hopeful that the tunnel with the light on the end coming through, that the light gets brighter and brighter. And it's comforting to know that we will have you as a resource and the resources you lead us to, to sort of help us navigate 
So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Carol. I always enjoy visiting with you. Victor, you've been such a great guest, and I thank you so much for taking the time again to be with us here today. I hope everyone listening really got a lot out of this conversation, and we talked a lot about the important things that parents can do to make sure their children are faring as well as can be expected in this pandemic. And parents, please encourage your children to talk, voice their feelings. As Victor said, Certainly you can't have a conversation when you want to have it, but please leave that door open for your children to tell you how they're feeling because that's a good way for them to feel better if they can express how they're feeling. And of course, if there's anything that really concerns you, please call your pediatrician, call your doctor and ask them for advice. I hope everyone listening enjoyed this conversation with Victor and that you'll come back for more. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review where you find your podcasts and tell your friends. In the meantime, please check out the Brown Control Parenting blog at www.browncontrolparenting.com for tons of parenting info and advice. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. Please send comments and questions on any of these platforms because we really want to hear from you. Until the next time, take care and thanks for listening. Thank you.